Now, I don't know about you, but Lord help me for not loving a cult classic. But what the fuck did you make me watch? Technically, I didn't make you watch it. Chat made you watch it. You put it? it on the list for them to vote on. Uh, yeah. You put it on the list. It's a good movie. No, it isn't. Hi. No, it isn't. Hi, I'm America. I'm James. It's still not a good movie. This is City Wave Cinema, and we watched... Little Shop of Horrors. Which apparently has horrified James. It's simply bad. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90. They can get it wrong. People make mistakes. That's a terrible film. It's not. I'm going to try to refrain from singing as much as I can during this podcast. I, I appreciate that from you so much. Because if you sing, I'll leave. Is it because my singing is bad? No, it's because those songs are heinous. And the transition from Rick Moranis to whoever did his singing is such jarring affairs. Every time. It just, it comes like a sledgehammer through a pie. It just... I wonder who did do the singing. You better find out because I can't handle it. Also, I expected something totally different, but I did. I did receive, uh, somewhat was promised. This movie, nineteen eighty six, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, starring Rick Moranis, Eileen or Ellen, Is that Eileen, uh, Ellen, Ellen Green, Green, uh, some assorted other people, some SNL folk, uh, Bill Murray, he's in the movie, uh. Steve Martin's in the movie. Steve Martin's in the movie. He's yeah. It, it's, it's the uh, only movie that Steve Martin and Bill Murray have ever appeared in together. That's fine. Uh, man, just okay. So it was rated PG thirteen in nineteen eighty six, and what that means is in today's theater with today's MPAA ratings, uh, it's an NC seventeen movie. Now, from what I saw, it probably one of the few movies that you could get away with saying, yeah, that's just PG-13 between the 80s and now. Uh, But most of the time, when you go into a 1980s era movie and it's rated PG-13, there's going to be a whole bare breast, there's going to be the word fuck, and there might be some slurs. So, you know, you just got to, like, prepare yourself when you go into these movies. Now, I did prepare myself because I was worried that it might be such a horrifying thing, but it was in fact not that bad in terms of the content. It simply stinks and it's bad for other reasons. It's a good movie. The first problem I have with this movie comes after the first song. Well, during the first song, uh, when, and this is a musical, mind you, uh, which I did not really know going in, but I I knew there were songs in the movie. I did not know it was a movie specifically for songs. Um, The the little trio uh, of fabulous singers uh, that sort of moves the plot along. The Greek chorus. Is that what they're called? It's generally what they're called when there's like three singers in a musical that just like yeah, them. 
they did tremendous with their singing. Their outfits were weird, but, I, you know, it's the 80s. Shit's weird. Um, but more importantly, they did a whole bit where it was dry out on Skid Row, and then it started to rain, and then they did a whole choreographed number all the way through the rain to move the camera to where it was supposed to be so the movie could start. And they did all this bit in the rain with you could visibly see the water falling and they were not wet even a little bit, which I thought to myself, is that just clever movie magic that they're doing or did they oopsie daisy and just throw it in and post? It was on purpose. So the director, Frank Oz, wanted them to be like in a spotlight every time they appeared, but that proved like fucking rather impossible because like the spotlight would shine onto other actors like he wanted them to appear like ethereal to the plot basically um but he was really proud of the fact that during the opening rain he got them to remain dry like that was one of his big things during the movie i'm also gonna break your brain okay rick and ellen did did the same voice Okay. But there's a diff- very vast difference in, like, their actual singing voice and, like... Rick Moranis sings like a shiny golden god. Ellen Green can also sing. She just can't sing and do the Audrey voice. She can't... Well, the thing of it is, is you can't sing in the Audrey voice because the Audrey voice is what happens when you don't close your mouth <laughs> and weird. suck on helium for a thousand hours. Now you're like Princess Bubblegum or some shit. Uh, no, so that, that annoyed me. Also, it's weird that we're watching a movie that was directed by Yoda. That's just strange to me. Anyways. Uh, Audrey. We got her voice. It's just so awful. Seymour. Seymour. It, it's, but it's... You gotta keep your mouth open just enough that you could, like, set an olive, like a whole <laughs> olive pit and everything in your lips, and it would make a suction seal. Like, it, her mouth is so small, and the voice is so high that, like, she just... And she keeps her mouth open the whole movie. She's she Kristen doesn't, Stewart. She doesn't close her mouth. No, it's worse than Kristen Stewart, because she just... It's, like, open wide the whole time. It's, like, always just, ah. All, you can see her tongue and her fucking molars, dude. Like, the whole time. It's just, why? Was it a directorial choice? Is Frank Oz just really fucking weird? I, I, I have questions and I don't have answers. And at the same time, it's, like, why why is everyone just like, oh yeah, that's just Audrey. That's just how she is. Is that just like how things are on Skid Row in New York? I, I w- Skid Row in LA is way fucking different. I by wouldn't the way. know because um, I've never been to Skid Row in New York. I will say though, what's weird to me about just like juxtaposition time wise is like in this movie, they're all singing about like how downtown's the, pla- the like bad place to be. Uh-huh. And now, like, downtown in most cities is, like, the most expensive place to be. Like, mm-hmm. that's where the rich people live. Oh, yeah. And so, I don't know. That was just fascinating to me. Like, the juxtaposition from 1980-whatever to 2020s. Like, people would murder 
several people to live in. People would feed several people to Audrey, too, to live in an uptown, like, or a downtown loft. Like, several people. With no hesitation. Yeah. It would be the only way you could afford rent in most downtowns. Yeah. I don't... I can't imagine trying to live in downtown in Austin. Like, it's so expensive. Now. Uh, everything in this... A lot of my notes are, like, about specific events, but the broad overarching scheme in the movie is a very simple plot line. There's a total eclipse of the sun, which is the name of a song, by the way, and a plant appears from outer space in an Asian man's wholesale flower shop. Rick Moranis finds it, buys it, takes it home, has it, it's weird. They start making money because it's weird. And he accidentally pricks his thumb on some thorns. He starts, he's bleeding from it. And the plant is like, I'm nom nom, I'm baby, give me blood. And so he does. And then now we've got Audrey too, the carnivorous plant beast animal alien. Nom nom. Nom nom nom, I'm baby. baby. Give, Give me, me blood. blood. <laughs> that's the only... I need to write that down because that's going to be the only description for the fucking episode. Um, nom, nom. Um, um, nom, nom. I am baby. Give me blood. It's Renesme. It's just the plant version of Renesme. Yes. Uh, so really, this is just... This is the prequel to... Uh, Everyone's favorite vampire series. Oh my god, what a fucking meta-universe that would be. <laughs> um, now, the everything in the movie plays like a SNL sketch. Everything is overacted. Everything is like... It's, it's like, what is that trope where it's like, you you bump something and you do a little physical comedy bit like oh I broke the shelf and you go ah oh, gee gosh well darn it like it's that but the whole movie is that you mean most of you mean Rick Moranis's career <laughs> I was like you yes mean most yes of his it's jobs? just Rick Moranis's career uh except for when he was in Ghostbusters and he had like lines um but Jesus fuck, man. It was just all, all the time with Rick Mer and he starts the movie like that verbatim. It's just, ah, oh, gosh, gee whiz, boy. Oh, boy, I'm sorry, Mr. Mushnick. Oh, 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 golly. Oh, boy. And it's just that. It reads like you. they do that shit every once in a while in, like, kids' cartoons nowadays. And it reads like that. Like, it's like, haha, we're making a joke. But I think they did it on purpose and not like a haha, we're making a joke. And I think that's terrible. I mean, it's kind of the character of Seymour, though. Like, that's kind of who Seymour is. It's just like a gosh golly gee kind of guy. Yeah, but then we have a song about how it's terrible to live downtown. And I wrote, we interrupt this SNL skit to bring you a song about being sad and poor. Uh, which none of those people are, which is funny to me. 
Sucks being poor. That's a really relatable song. Though. Incredibly relatable until you think about all the people who are singing it and you're like, mm, Rick Moranis has money. Anyhow, I also made a note in that first song and I was like, is that actually Rick Moranis? Is Rick Moranis singing right now? Because that's. Wow. Because the guy who did Rick Moranis's voice, Rick Moranis, he can fucking sing. He's got the juice. And then we just kept having little asides with Audrey. And I just, I couldn't focus on the plot, which, good thing, it's a very simple plot, so I didn't have to focus on it too much. But, holy shit, every time Audrey's on screen, she is injured because of her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Shouts out to tackling abuse in 1986. And also... Tackling. Well, they did a murder, kind of. Uh, they also, at least like, they talked about it. But the extent of them talking about it is like, yeah, that good for nothing, blah, blah, blah. Like, Well, yeah, that's an old man take on it. And you know what Rick Moranis did? He brought a gun to a dentist's office. The, we, you, you have the disparity of the old man take on the abusive boyfriend. It's like, you should leave that good for nothing. And then you have Rick Moranis who's like, I'll kill him. The, those are the responses here. And I think that's appropriately measured. Now, say la vie. Uh, Audrey's all the time injured, getting beat on by that jackass. and Who is Steve Martin, but you surprise. don't find that out till later. Yeah, that's a, that fucking twisted my arm into a weird way. I think it's also different seeing him retroactively. Like, yeah, as the dentist, yeah, versus back then seeing him as the dentist, like back when. Well, what else did he do in the eighties? Uh, there he only did two movies in nineteen eighty, and it was this. It was Little Shop of Horrors and something else that involved a talking plant. He did two movies in nineteen eighty that involved a talking plant. I read that in the trivia, um, but. Yeah, like, retroactively now, knowing him as, like, the dad and Cheaper by the Dozen and the dude and only murders in the building and... Everyone knew him from The Jerk, but that was from 1979. Um, Father of the Bride, Steve Martin. Like, those are all very different Steve Martins. The Steve Martin we grew up with is different than the Steve Martin you old people grew up with. And you guys got a different guy. And that Steve Martin appeared in this movie, and it's very jarring if you know the Steve Martin we know. So, it's kind of like finding out that, like, may he rest in peace, but Bob Saget um, from Fuller House, everybody's favorite TV dad, Danny Tanner, curses like a sailor and tells horrifically dirty jokes. Like, all the time. Like, that's just really jarring. <laughs> Really jarring but to you know us. What else? You know what else came out in 86? Hmm. Three Amigos with Steve That's Martin, Chevy one. Chase, and Martin Short. It has a singing bush in it. Jesus Christ. So he did two movies in the 80s. In 1986 specifically. That involved a singing plant. Man, then he followed it up with Roxanne. Dude, he was on a roll in the 80s. And then also the 90s. And then also the 2000s. He's and doing great still, for himself. He's doing great. This Steve is his Martin's last great. project is only Murders in the Building, though, so it's going to be really sad. Like, he's full-on retiring after he this. He's from Waco. No way. Yeah. He was born in Waco. 
Hey, look, good things I do guess come out of Texas. Yeah, good things do come from Waco. Oh, Other fuck, than a cult and Magnolia. Yeah, we don't talk about it. Hey, Magnolia. I'm actually... You're wearing I'm Magnolia wearing my Magnolia shirt. shirt. They're from Waco. Uh, fuck. Anyways, we're super distracted. Uh, Audrey just kept distracting me because of the horrible, horrible everything that is her character. Uh, and her voice is just... Oh. Uh, then I made the I made a note that I thought was going to be more relevant, but it turned out to not be real relevant. And that note was that the movie might be tiptoeing into a bit of the racist vibes, uh, uh, which I would have expected from something in the eighties. Uh, but really, they just like looked at something racist and then walked away. Uh, and that would be in the song where Rick Moranis sings about finding Audrey 2, it they uh the the chorus singers oh, yeah. make a <laughs> make a way off color joke. Ching doo-wop. Yeah. In their in their little doo-wop bit. And it like caught me way off guard and I was like, hey, whoa. And then they never did it again. And nothing of the sort ever happened for the rest of the movie. So it, like, could have been, but wasn't. So, you know, that's good. Listen, there's good things about the movie, okay? There's good things about it. But at a flat baseline, it's like two thumbs down for how fucking insane everything is. America kept comparing it to Rocky Horror Picture Show. And I want to make something very clear to you. I will not watch Little Shop of Horrors a second time. I will watch... Uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show every year for the rest of my life, probably. It's so good. It's very good. And I think a big portion of that disparity is while they're both cult classics, this movie feels like an SNL sketch and Rocky Horror Picture Show feels like a movie. That's true. I'll give the, you that. The, it, this just feels like bit after bit after bit, and it plays like bit after bit after bit. And if you like that, then this is the fucking movie for you, dude. If you just sit back and watch Chevy Chase bits from early SNL skits over and over and over again on YouTube, this is your fucking jam. This is the movie that you're going to vibe with for the rest of time. If you're like a normal person... Uh, watch Rocky Horror instead. Okay, wait. If you're normal, do not watch Rocky Horror Picture Show. You are not ready for it. You know what? Yes. What she said. That's... She's... Yeah. The Don't... Normal people are not ready for Rocky yeah, Horror gotta, Picture you Show. You gotta stay away from Frankenfurter. You gotta stay away from that guy. He'll fuck you. And your mom. And your dad. Yeah. And your wife. Accurate. And your husband. Literally anything that moves. And, and not the dog, but no, maybe. No, not animals. He's an alien. We don't know. Surprise. He's a sweet transvestite from Transylvania. Get spoilered, bitch. Uh, and you know what really drove home that whole SNL sketch thing for me? It's when they... Moranis makes this big deal about putting or Seymour, I'll call him Seymour when Seymour makes a big deal about putting the plant in the window so that they can generate customers to come up and, and every customer in. walks in and they're like, hey, I'm here because that plant's weird can I spend all the money I have on an irrelevant plant that I don't need right now from you 
because the other plant in the window is interesting, but I don't want to buy that plant. I just came in because of that plant. I saw that plant and I thought, gosh, I need 50 roses right now. What? It's like the whole movie. The whole movie's like that. Everyone's insane. The movie is just full of crazy people doing crazy people shit. And it, I, it doesn't make any fucking sense. At no point in the movie does anything make a modicum of sense. And no one reacts appropriately to anything that happens ever. First of all, musical logic. Second of all, James, it's a movie about a giant carnivorous plant that sings like an R&B singer. He does not sing like an R&B singer. That is blues and jazz to a T. Sorry, a blues and jazz singer. I don't know what you expected. Well, I didn't expect Christopher Guest... Did you expect it to be logical? Because it doesn't sound like a logical fucking movie. I didn't expect Christopher Guest to walk in and go, Hi, I saw Audrey 2 in the window, and I thought, Gosh, I need to spend $50 on roses right now. Can you break a hundred? No? I guess I'll buy twice as many. It's the absurdity of it all that makes it good, though. That doesn't make it good. That makes it fucking annoying. It's funny. No, it isn't. Laugh. Ha ha. This is not a Jacksepticeye video. Smack the whiteboard. Laugh. No. No. I will not. This is not, it's not good. It's not. It's lazy writing. It's funny. Ah, no. You know what is funny? When that happens on a stage in a theater. It felt like I was watching a play, but the last time I watched a play on a movie screen that was good was Hamilton the one time. I think we watched Shrek after Hamilton. Did we? I think so. No. No, we watched Shrek the musical before we watched Hamilton because it hadn't come out yet. Either way, this was designed to feel like the stage production. Like, it was was designed to feel like that. You should have prepped me with that instead of prepping me with, this is what Seymour is. You know that line, feed me Seymour? Feed me Seymour. It's from this movie. I've sang that on stream more than once. Oh, I know. And I know what it's from. I've seen stills and clips from that movie before. I also sing that, like, on a regular occurrence in my life. (laughs) I, I literally made a note. It's as though they are performing on a stage. Like everything just felt stage, and I was like, "This isn't the. This isn't what it's for." If I wanted to see them act like it was on stage, I'd have gone to the theater. Ah, it's I don't know. I think if you prep somebody by telling them, "Listen, this is a stage show," and they do it like a stage show, then you can go in and watch it and be like, "Ha ha, it's great." But if you go in and you're like, "Movie," and they're like, "What about?" Off-Broadway theater. You know what it reminds me of a little bit now that we're thinking about it and I'm, like, thinking about it like this? Uh, Those, like, live productions that, like, they did of, like, those Broadway shows. Oh, yes. Remember when they did Hairspray Live? Yeah. And it was like that. It was fucking awful. And you know it was fucking awful because I know you saw it with your own two eyes and you went, oh, because I I saw it with my own two eyes. I haven't liked any of those, like, I think it's NBC. Is it NBC? It might be. Who fucking knows? Those live productions, they did Peter Pan. They've done... They get, like, half the cast, and then they get a bunch of Broadway 
people to do yeah, the back half of it. Yeah, they did the Little Mermaid. They did Hairspray. They yeah, did, it's the only one I've seen is Hairspray. Did, uh, did they do Little Shop? No, but they did do Rocky Horror, and it was uh, bad. Uh, it was really bad. Uh, like it was. I would rather watch the Glee version of Rocky Horror. Jesus Christ, sacrilege! Than watch the live. Rocky Horror, NBC, whatever, fucking Fox Live. I don't fucking know who did listen, it. Listen, listen. There's, okay. Picture the way that Shrek the Musical, which you can watch on Netflix, highly recommend it. Drink while you do. Uh, There's a drinking game. You can look it up. Uh, it'll fuck your shit up inside of ten minutes. That's for goddamn short. Um, you know how when we watch that movie... Mm-hmm. The camera is in one place or a couple places, but they're like, it's like a Netflix comedy special where it's always pointed at the stage. Yes, because it's a Because it's a stage show. Yes. Right. Imagine, if you will, that we did this Broadway play. Or was it, did it go ever to Broadway or did it stay it off Broadway off the whole Broadway, time? It was off Broadway and then I think it went on Broadway for a short run. It's weird enough to not have staying power on Broadway. It was never long-term Broadway. Anyhow, imagine a stage production that you just film from audience perspective. I'd have fucking loved it. I'd have loved every second of it. It would have been weird and incredible in every way that is correct, and I would have been like, of course it's got a great Rotten Tomatoes score. It's fabulous. So I we did this show in high school. I wasn't in it because I was busy acting downtown. Um, oh, you were busy downtown. downtown. I know. Wow, big time actor, eh? It's, it's why my director in high school didn't like me, is because I was like, well, I'm busy with rehearsals downtown, so I can't do these nights. And she's like, cool, well then, no show for you. And I was like, I can do both, I just can't be there every fucking night. Anyways, I went on a tangent. Anyways, we did this in high school, and the stage production is vastly different than the movie production, but they are also like the exact same if that makes any sense whatsoever. not even a little without any sort of context that what you've just said is a riddle a riddle that no one has the answer to because it was forged in the depths of your mind well what's really funny about the stage production is you don't have like a giant animatronic puppet plant that like right can move and eat people i mean you do is there just a guy well it's more like there's just this giant plant mouth on stage and it uh -huh. just goes rah, rah. And what's even funnier about that is, like, because it's just, like, a rah, rah, and you can't uh -huh. see what I'm doing on, <laughs> for podcasts, so that I'm just making these noises, but I'm opening and closing my hands, because it's basically just a flap. Like a clam. Yeah, like, you can lift open the head, and that's about it. So what's really funny about going, if you ever go see Rocky Horror Live, and especially, like, you not mean on a- Little Shop Live? Yes. Huh. Little Shop Live, and it's not, like, on a large budget scale, actors have to, like- Fake getting eaten by the plant, but also have to throw themselves into the plant to make it sure they make it into, like, the hatch and disappear. So, I I just feel like that would have been a better thing to see. Maybe we need to go it, see I Little think, Shop Live. I, God damn it, I'm going to have to watch this show a second time. But I, I think it's... Listen, art is subjective entirely. True. And sometimes art is... Better in some mediums than others. Mm-hmm. Like, you couldn't do War of the Worlds now 
No. It only worked when Orson Welles did it I because mean, the only thing you had was radio. They did that make that movie with Tom Cruise, and it was pretty good. Oh, I didn't fucking see it. And Dakota Fanning. It was pretty good. Maybe it was good. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, the same it, effect of, like, the, the, locking out everybody from a radio station and making everyone believe that aliens were actually invading Earth. The medium has so much effect on what your subjective view of art is. If you read a book and then watch a movie based on the book, your experience with both things is different. And that's why everyone who goes, Ah, this movie was terrible because it wasn't like the book. Shove it up your fucking ass. It's a different medium. It's going to be different. You can't expect it's going to be perfect. You can't expect it's going to be just like it. It can have merit. It can be good. And they should be proud of it. However... It can also be flat fucking garbage like Percy Jackson. Yes. There is a certain level of quality that they should probably aspire to. And I'm, sometimes they just don't reach it. I'm all I'm always that person that will defend the different mediums and their different forms. Like I I like both things for different reasons. I'm going to use my classic Hunger Games example of Mockingjay where we got to see the rescue of Peta and like them going into the capital and getting him out which we got nothing of in the books. Was it a way to make the movie break up into two parts? Yeah, 100% it was. But also, it was just really cool, and it was really intense, and it was this really, like... Like, my heart was, like, palpitating. Like, I was so stressed out, and I knew what happened. I read the book, but in the book, all you get is fucking Katniss moping around District 13 for fucking 20 chapters. Yes. Like, actually seeing them go into the Capitol and, like, do this, like, prison break was, like insane and it was so fucking good another one of those examples of just different mediums doing something really well is you have the series of unfortunate events book and then the series of unfortunate events tv show not the movie the tv show and lemony snicket wrote the tv show and he's like what's really cool about the tv show that i didn't get to do in the books is i can show you guys what else was happening while the Baldelaires were doing their thing. Because in the book, it's just about the Baldelaires and it's following their story and it's like their perspective on things. But in the, he's like, in the TV show, I could show you everything else that was going on. So there's different ways to do it and different ways to tell it. So I can see your reasoning as to why the movie and the stage production, why the stage production might be better than the movie and why it would be different. I think the movie's alright. I think it's a good movie. I don't... Okay. It isn't. But that's a personal judgment on it. Clearly, the popular vote on the thing in Rotten Tomatoes is that it's fucking fabulous. It's got a cult following. It's not unlike Rocky Horror in that it's fucking weird and strange shit happens all the time. But at the same time, it's like, if you can't convince me from the jump to suspend my disbelief then from the start to the finish if things don't make sense or people don't behave rationally i cannot be invested in this production and i have a strong feeling that if i watch this production from a theater seat and the actors were there on the stage in front of me i'd be enthralled by it i love a play 
plays are fun and interesting and fascinating, and musicals are also just as good. Musicals are also always better live. Indeed. 100% of the time. Sorry. But I mean, like, it just... For me personally, I could not... From the and, and you know whose fault it was? It's fucking Audrey's fault. From the moment she walked out and her voice was wrong, and just like, it didn't... It, it doesn't... It's it does it's not good up here in the brain. It's not good. You hear it and you see the actor and you go, ah, uh, no. And then it doesn't stop and it keeps happening and you go, ah, uh, ah, ah, no. And it just that and then that's the movie's over and you go, that fucking sucked. And so I I don't want to like sit here and justify like ah it was bad for these reasons. It's fine. You know what you sound like? What? Me when I talk about Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Except for Matthew McConaughey's in a lot of stuff, and Ellen Green did that. I'm sure she's been in more things, but did that voice follow? Probably not. Probably not. That's a character voice. Matthew McConaughey just sounds like that, okay? Which is almost worse. It's slightly different, and I'd argue better... For Matthew McConaughey. All right, back to your Christ, notes because we got way off on a tangent. Listen, it just—it's just what the fuck over and over again. Especially when he keeps pricking his fingers and he just lets Audrey too suck on his fingers. Because I thought to myself, I sat there and I went, "They really just had Rick Moranis finger a puppet for like how many takes? Who knows?" But they just did that, and it—it it like. It does lip movements, like, way advanced for the 80s. Super cool to look at. But also makes you very uncomfortable because it was like a mouth doing mouth motions. Are you going to keep doing that on camera? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stream deserves to suffer. Um, It was just this over and over and over again. And I swear to you, it only lasted on screen for all of, like, no more than five seconds, but it just, it's imprinted on my brain and I will never not see that forever. That's what I will think of when everyone's like, feed me Seymour. And I'll be like, no, don't finger it. It's just. So now every time I sing that when I'm hungry, I'm going to stick my finger in your mouth. <laughs> don't do I'm going to do it because that's what you're asking for. That's you. You're going to go feed me Seymour and I'll go blood. Just drip blood onto your mouth. It's going to be fucking incredible. Oh, my God. No. Oh. All right. So the fucking Audrey song, when she gets by herself and she's just like, I'm dating a jerk. No. I wish I was with Seymour. Ah. 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 And she does a whole, a whole, who, who is that? Abby. Oh, Christ. She does a whole fucking song and dance. It's it's not a song and dance, but I was worried that there would be a dance. It's just a song. And they, dude, they teleport you into the 1986 house of nightmares in this wonderful little dream sequence. Really well executed, I gotta say. It's just, it, it, it sounds like I'm hating on the production. I'm super not. 
It was well produced. They spent a billion dollars on it. Twenty-five million. Uh, do the numbers. What's twenty-five million in nineteen eighty-six dollars? I think I still have my conversion calculator. You should. It so it's not that this is a poorly made production. This is a good and well executed production. It hurts my brain to watch and think about. So you we go through this song where Audrey's all sad, and she we go and and she's singing about. What her like dream life would be in the future with Seymour, and it's funny because they give him dad bod, and like Rick Moranis is like pretty fit at the time. They make him wear frumpy clothes and shit, but he's like he doesn't have a gut in any scenes except this dream sequence where he's like tripping the God fuck the words. He's like trimming the lawn with the old lawnmower that just spun around. Uh, my grandfather owned one, and. Uh, like, he stops, and he just, like, puts his... He does that dad pose where he puts his, like, hands backwards on his hips, and his gut just, like, sags out, which is a... To- it's a- That's a dad thing. Dads do that, and it's great. How much money did they spend on that fucking movie? $25 million in today dollars. How much money did they spend on that movie? $67,702,554. All right, so it's not... The Batman, but it's an extremely high-value production movie, okay? How much did they fucking spend on Batman? Uh, easily a couple hundred million. I'm gonna go find out. Like, I mean, Christopher Nolan's Batman's probably cost a hundred million each. Shit. Uh, anyways. It, okay, we're, we're inside the house in the dream sequence. The wallpaper. It's like a heinous set of colors. And it's this awful, awful pattern of, like... It's like one family crest kind of deal, but it's, of course, it's like this, and then the next portion of the wallpaper, it's upside down, and it just keeps that rotation all the way up and down in the stripes up and down the wall. Awful. Then the cabinets. They're not white or gray or brown. They're a fucking awful, like, green-blue with, like, red mixed in there. And the the whole house is like that. And there's that antique. Oh God! And it's it's not antique. It's just old. There's that old '80s furniture where you would like have the floral printed like what we would put outside now, like outside couch was inside couch in the '80s. Covered in plastic. And covered in plastic, dude. Like it was just. We would call it a 1980s trope now, but that's just how it was. Then, and I say that because I've seen pictures of my grandmother's house when it was the 80s, and it was like that. Paneling, wallpaper, the fucking furniture has plastic on it. It's, and, and, and that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. They had a Tupperware party in the house. Like, no one does Tupperware parties anymore, Janice. God damn. It just was so wild to watch. Beautifully executed. Horrible upon the eyes to look at. This is, might be the first time James is getting lost in the woods looking at the branches. He's pulling in America. I'm really in... I made 30 notes. Like, I'm in the fucking weeds here, man. 
James is just staring at one branch really aggressively. (laughs) This will take me to Santa! Ah! (laughs) Uh, It's just, I'm fucking losing it, man. It was just so weird, dude. It was so weird. And then, dude, we finished the movie and then we watched the original ending and it was wholly different. That's like the original stage production is. The stage production ended way better than the movie ended. But the stage production didn't have Bill Murray in it. Probably. So, now we have to introduce the boyfriend. Steve Martin. Steve motherfucking Martin. As the dentist. And that's what took me the most by surprise. We get, it's a cinematic reveal, there's a motorcycle rev, he's singing this song about being a bad dude, and it's Steve Martin with dyed black hair, all roguelike from the 80s, he looks like a bad kid from the wrong side of the tracks, he's wearing the denim and the leather, and it's got the spikes and shit on it, and he's driving the motorcycle. Talking about murdering animals. Talking about murdering animals, and then he stops the motorcycle, but he doesn't, he just jumps off of it, and it stops of its own volition, probably because it's scared it's gonna get beat if it doesn't start on command, and all, dude, it's just crazy. And then the song goes, the song is something like, he used to be bad, and he did all these terrible things as a kid, and his mom said, "We're, we're gonna find a way to channel your inner machinations so you know what you should be a dentist because they like causing people pain and people will pay you to cause them pain and the rest of this number is steve martin casting aside his dark motorcycle jacket and putting on the scrub like top of a dentist and committing heinous violence upon people for money because they need teeth fix Dude, the bit where he grabbed the kid by the hair and then hit him in the stomach with his knee, that shit was crazy. This movie is fucking crazy. It makes you feel like you're on drugs all of the time. But not like the good kind of drugs, like the bad kind, where you're just horrified at everything that's happening around you. It's like a bad acid trip for me, personally. Would you say that Rocky Horror is the good type of drugs? Rocky Horror is what I imagine the side effects of the little blue pill are. Like, when you take the boner pill, how does it affect your brain? And that's what Rocky Horror Picture Show is. (laughs) I think this is the most derailed any of our episodes has ever ever fucking been <laughs> i can't wait to put this one out honestly oh uh, th- my am I, god wait, am i putting this out tonight i don't know i don't know we well, need to I'm... double check <laughs> dude it's it, this this movie is like if a botanist did acid and and rocky horror is like if you took a boner pill and your mind just went somewhere else you just had a raging boner for four hours. <laughs> you just keep talking. <laughs> I don't know how to stop. <laughs> All right, you got any more notes before we wrap up this train wreck? Uh, I just, I was really thrown aside by the whole Steve Martin's a dentist in this movie. 
it, re it really took me by surprise. Like, I didn't know what I was really going to expect when they brought out the boyfriend, but uh, they, they show him, and it's like, oh, it's Steve Martin. Okay, he's he's going to be the bad guy. That's that's fun. That's interesting. It's a little, a little different. I'm not used to that. That's fun. He's usually such a nice guy, a protagonist, if you will. And then... Bing, bang, boom. He's an evil dentist? What? That's weird. And you don't really understand it. And I'm going to start the next episode with more talk of Steve Martin as a dentist because that's when Bill Murray arrives. Is it right there? There's so many things that happen in between those two scenes. Well, I mean, what happens in between those two scenes is Steve Martin does his dentist thing and then... They have, he, no, they have so much more in between the song about the dentist and Bill, Mur Bill Murray going to the dentist. Well, yeah, it's like there's a dentist scene, then other stuff happens, and then there's a dentist scene. But the other stuff that happens is irrelevant. You got, like, Seymour going on the radio, you bah. got... Oh, yeah, John Candy's in the movie. Oh, my God. Comedy genius, monologue, incredible. Alrighty, we'll see you next time, I guess. God help me.